So uh, this comes from Drone Life. Uh, so the commercial UAV uh, kicked off uh, in Las Vegas this week. Today, the traditional keynote featured industry leaders addressing some of the most important questions of the day, including the FAA's plans for drone integration and what will happen with uh, remote ID for uh, drones rules scheduled to be implemented in just a couple of days, 10 days um, on September 16th. Um, so uh, we had uh, FAA's David Bolter, who's the Associate Administrator for Aviation Safety. Um, obviously, Elman, uh, sorry, let me explain this. Commercial Drone Alliance uh, um, leader of the global UAS practice, Lisa Elman, uh, began the keynote by acknowledging industry frustration with FAA processes. Check. <laughs> uh, uh, and rulemaking, which has seemed to stall around issues such as flights beyond visual and a site and type certification. We're all here because we share a common goal, said Elman. The advancement of drone technology benefits all Americans. While the technology has moved forward quickly, regulations have lagged behind. FAA continues to view FAA integration as a long road ahead. America is falling behind our global competitors. Uh, sorry, uh, Rob, I'm, I'm muting you for a second. I think we're getting some background noise from you. Um, let's see, Elman outlined some critical steps that the government can take in the next few months, promote an FAA reauthorization bill that will move our industry forward. Um, I would like to add on to that, that would move recreational in, in a much better way. Uh, the executive branch should establish that it is the policy of the US to lead the world in uncrewed technology. Definitely agree with that. And the FAA must streamline its process to enable UAS integration. Definitely agree with that. Um, while expressing the sentiment of the sentiment of the industry, Elman did bring a note of optimism to addressing that the agency has been taking significant action in recent months to meet those goals. I can assure you there's a lot of progress happening behind the scenes at the FAA. That is encouraging. So, um, you know, when we first started the FPVFCA. I'm going to pause here for a second. Uh, I think a lot of people saw the Commercial Drone Alliance as kind of the, the bad guys in the room, right? And uh, there was a lot of concern, warranted concern on what they were doing, why they were doing it, and uh, if they were going to attempt to kind of box out uh, recreational. But on the flip side, uh, they've definitely done a lot to uh, push the FAA in a direction that uh, is kind of uh, promoting a, a little bit of a quicker response on some things. So, um, so David Bolter uh, is open to drone technology, and he acknowledges the needs of the industry. This is a collaborative process. Question mark. Uh, I, I don't know that I absolutely agree with that, but. Uh, uh, we know we've been moving too slow in this space, and I would agree with that. Uh, while the FAA is, FAA's motto is to run the safest, most efficient airspace in the world, Bolter notes that enabling new technology, our goal is to find balance between the safety, between the safety and efficiency. Um, we need to adopt risk-based decision-making and things that are low risk. We need to do as many of those operations as we can. Um, to that end, Bolter outlines the priorities for drone integration, clarify agency policies, 100%. Uh, 
we need to make sure that the agency has a policy. We need an agency approach with desperate, uh, disparate teams in type certification, flight permissions, and more. Walter says that all aspects of integration need to be looked at as a package. Uh, develop an all-of-government approach. As progress can be halted when different government agencies have different priorities, Bolter said that a unified all-of-government approach to issues of drone integration would help move policies forward. Um, in a certain aspect, I agree. In a certain aspect, I disagree. I think it's been far too long that different agencies push into uh, rules. Um, uh, into drone uh, integration and, and drone policies have, have made it a worse space for everybody. Um, and that's, this is my personal opinion, but I think when you get, uh, you know, agencies like DHS, uh, DOJ, um, FBI, certain, certain different uh, organizations, their, their approach has, has made privacy a concern uh, amongst the American people who fly drones. So uh, just questioning that. So, um, and then third, provide answers. We are public service, we owe you an answer. We don't owe you an answer that you want, but we owe you an answer so that you can make business decisions and move on. This is the biggest, one of the bigger flaws of the FAA is trying to get an answer on something. Uh, it's been a long time where if you uh, submit a a authorization or a a a, uh, a waiver request that it's just you know rejected and well what did I do I, what do I need to do differently well we can't tell you that try harder next time yeah it's like you know what's the tax motto it's like oh you owe this much money well how much do I owe we can't tell you that <laughs> you know it's like so. Uh, and then gather more data. The unknown is a high risk. We need data for effective rulemaking. There's a lot of data out there that the FAA just chooses to ignore. Uh, it doesn't include, um, you know, number one being recreational is the safest form. Recreational uh, flight is the safest form of flight ever. So, you know, there's that. So, um, and then obviously remote ID came up. Uh, so uh, the deadline for operators is September 16th, by which date operators must equip their aircraft with an external remote ID module or fly uh, a remote ID certified aircraft. As the date approaches, however, many commercial operators have found that external modules are unavailable for shipping and firmware updates for their existing fleet are not yet ready. Technical considerations such as the ability to turn off the capability for sensitive public safety or government operations have not been addressed. Walter says that the FAA is cognizant of the issues and is working on delivering a message to address them. You're going to get relief. We just don't know what that relief looks like yet. But I, I know it's late in the game, but we will have relief. Yeah, they're running out of time, that's for sure. Yeah, they got they got 10 days to make that decision here. So, I mean, feedback on some of these policies, anybody? Yeah, there was one document that reflected one of the uh, issuance of, well, we're going to do things differently in the uh, <clears throat> in the FAA, and it it looked like a classic. We are about to reorganize. That's what this whole uh, document said. So I need to take a better look at it. It was one of these, um, you know, many many page documents from the FAA. This one here, <clears throat> but it, risk management one. I think that may be it. Yep, that's the one. <clears throat> thirty. This pages. Doc, only thirty. Yep, that's readable. 
<clears throat> absolutely digested over lunch or maybe for <laughs> maybe for lunch um but like i said but this one had all the hints of coming from a large uh organization this is like hint hint wink wink we're going to change the organization dramatically when certainly that was one of the um significant uh, recommendations coming out of uh, the last arc so uh, we'll see what happens so yeah i'm uh you know, I, I can uh, I continue to be frustrated with the FAA. Most everything we ask for, ask them to ask to work with them, uh, is a no, 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 no. So, not uh, and if and and it's if we get an answer, which is usually very slow. Their turnaround time for pretty much anything is weeks. So it's it's a challenge to work with the FAA. So I don't know if Rob can speak to the law enforcement side at all. Um, if there's anything, any information you have that you are allowed to share about um, law enforcement and others being able to turn off remote ID or fly without it. Um, has the FAA given any official guidance on that yet? Uh, yeah, I, I can't disclose a lot of the particulars. Uh, the, the major concern is even though we have the capability to do so in some instances, the manufacturers aren't allowed to allow us to do it. So uh, I know uh, y'all kind of hit on that. Josh hit on that a little ago. Um, uh, outside of my role here, uh, I have had conversations. I know for sure that, um, that manufacturers have reached out and requested permission to allow uh, rid off, but it's none's been approved. So I don't know what it's going to look like in the, the unknown variable right now. All right. Thanks, Rob. Cool. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, if the FAA is going to reorganize and, and we're going to, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. We're going to have to see, and uh, we'll have to navigate those waters when it happens. Um, but it looks like the, the, uh, the uh, FAA is not the only one reorganizing. So we've got a new uh, drone safety team announces a new charter uh, at the commercial UAV expo. So, uh, the drone safety team is an industry government partnership committed to ensuring the safe operations of unmanned aircraft systems in the national airspace. Co-chair Jeffrey Vincent is the FAA executive director for the unmanned aircraft system integration office. Uh, he is responsible for safely integrating unmanned aircraft into the national airspace system. Fellow chair Dallas Brooks is the aviation regulatory lead for lead officer for wing an alphabet company. Um, so during the open uh, plenary meeting, Vincent and Brooks not only announced their new charter, but they shared their plans to refocus the organization to tackle some of the most pressing challenges facing the industry today. Brooks and Vincent explained that the DST after a hi hiatus is under new management and the group is serious about gathering data that would allow the organization to contribute to the fast and safe integration of crewed and uncrewed aviation to the national airspace. Um, so, uh, Brooks and Vincent explained in detail the new organization's charter and its emphasis on transparency as a guiding principle of the new DST management philosophy. Um, the website, as well as the email addresses and social media accounts are no longer official and do not reflect the current status of the organization. Brooks explained that the DST is in conversation with the previous administration to take over the website and update it to reflect the changes contained in the new charter. Um, they also expressed their desire to accept new members and encourage attendees to email drone safety team at gmail.com requesting membership. 
Not even uh, using the domain they have. Take, yeah, maybe they'll take a multi-GP now, too. I have a well, feeling Dave has something to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> this he's, he's choking on his words. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll just quickly throw out that we were supposed to, we, we were invited to this meeting, and uh, it was basically impossible to listen to it because their remote participation was just we're We're members. Afterthought. We're a member. We're a member organization of this DST. Apparently, it's 80, 80, It's eighty companies. So it's the FAA and eighty industry companies. And how many recreational organizations out of the eighty do you think there are? <laughs> One. Um, yeah, this organization has uh, uh, diminished. Is the nicest uh, description. We did uh, uh, put together a, uh, a paper. Um, and it was uh, John Hagrains, uh, and I did the work uh, along with a good team of uh, folks where we uh, analyzed uh, the UA UAS ASRS and uh, uh, presented it to the FAA. Um, drone safety team also do, felt that uh, taking on uh, analysis of something like uh, target level of safety was uh, outside of their scope. Uh, they also, uh, they were much like Fight Club in the sense of anything that went on with uh, DST stayed within DST. Um, so the fact that they're going to be transparent, that's great. We'll, we'll see. Uh, they they absolutely had a, uh, anything that was spoken, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't talk about it. It was, uh, every slide was classified as confidential and proprietary. And yes, I made a, uh, a nuisance of myself about that because it's ridiculous when they were talking about trying to get the word out and and you know, evangelize safety. And it's like, but you're you know, no one can talk about any of this. So, well, well let's hopefully they, uh, uh, hopefully their new charter, which sir, as a member, I've not seen yet. Uh, looking forward to seeing that. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, I also have a. Uh, announcement josh whenever you want about uh, the new deck and that's yeah uh, please go for it so if you're looking at the ein press wire uh, we made a, a press release uh, called the dac is back as in dac drone advisory committee and so we're calling it drone advisory council.org is a website and we're starting up a new organization. It may be a 501c6, probably will not be a 501c3, which has limitations uh, from a uh, lobbying uh, perspective. Uh, the idea, uh, this was announced uh, on the 5th at the Commercial UAV Expo. Um, it's to champion the cause of drone enthusiasts, professional industry stakeholders. Um, we are uh, working on uh, three pillars of uh, uh, formative, uh, ensuring drone perspectives are considered uh, from early stages of ideation, uh, substantive playing a crucial role in rulemaking and enduring providing a sustained advocacy and support uh, uh, even after regulations come into effect. <coughs> we have seven executive um, council members and the names and the organizations should give you a, a feeling of uh, uh, who's doing what and what's going on. This is pulled together by John Hagrain, CEO of uh, and founder of Aloft, and a longtime uh, helper and supporter of recreational UAS, uh, Greg Agvant, A-G-V-E-N-T, uh, founder of Winsock, uh, David Kraus, president of Influential Drones, also a buddy. Uh, he's in, uh, in the Jersey location, or Jersey region area, I should say. Fick Moss, you should know, COO of Drone Service Provider Alliance. 
Greg Revendu, co-founder of Pilot Institute, and Charles Werner, director of Drone Responders, and me, um, Dave Messina. So we've got a, a good group of people. Uh, we'll be pulling this together. We've got a, a document. We've got the group organization chartered. Uh, we're working on what we want to do to incorporate it and then uh, figure out how to expand it, how to get things done. <clears throat> but this is a good group of people who want to be completely transparent. Uh, I put forward uh, some of the ideas that uh, we should focus on some near-term initiatives like STEM and BV loss, and then farther out aspirational objectives like UTM, unmanned traffic management. By focusing on STEM, we uh, wrap in recreational in every uh, conversation that we have so that as we're talking to airframe manufacturers or software folks that are looking for uh, people to hire into into their companies. We're pushing a STEM initiative. You know, this is how we think we can help you in your communities. That's one of the things we definitely want to work on with this organization. Then in uh, in BV loss, we want to make sure that things like extended um, EV loss or extended visual line of sight are happening, uh, as well as uh, for uh, they are happening uh, for Part 107. But we sure would like to see some of that extended to 44809 recreational. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a bit of a yawner with the AAAC, the Advanced Advisory Aviation Committee. Uh, we noticed in the um, <clears throat> Reauthorization Act of 2023 for the FAA that the act will uh, not be renewed. There will be another FACA with 12 uh, individuals. So we're getting in front of uh, those initiatives and starting a group that we think can be effective and, uh, and help out. Plus, with this, this is a, a great group of people to work with. So we are not alone uh, driving the initiative uh, for recreational. It's epic. Back to you, Josh. That is, that is epic to get uh, that caliber of team put together uh, to, uh, yeah. to really tackle some of that. And a, te a testament to this team that, uh, that you know, we were asked to, uh, to help form uh, the founding executive council on that. That's uh, I'm really uh, really proud of this team that we're uh, we're one of the groups that that are asked to join. So that's that's fantastic. It is, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of uh, John Hergrains and and Aloft, um, so uh, Aloft is introducing drone remote ID compliance features on Aloft's airspace and fleet management platform. So at Aloft, we have been at the forefront of drone airspace management since our inception in 2015. It's our mission to empower drone pilots and operators with the tools and information they need to safely and efficiently manage their operations. Today, we're excited to announce the addition of drone remote ID compliance features to our industry-leading airspace and fleet management platform, Air Control. Remote ID is paving the way for safer and more complex drone operations. It offers a means of identifying drones in flight and the location of their control stations, providing crucial information to other airspace users and law enforcement agencies. Um, so they are adding this to their platform. They are generally one of the first to implement full-scale features like this uh, of any of the airspace uh, management systems, I would, I would uh, imagine. So... Um, these features will, uh, in future loft updates across our platform of air control, as well as before you fly, if anybody's using that, um, I don't, <laughs> I mean, choose your path choose your platform, I guess. Um, 
So it's uh, a lot of patented, patented dynamic airspace technology understands that every drone flight is unique, just as each mission has specific requirements. Our platform ensures that pilots see a tailored airspace map with elements relevant to their specific mission. Um, building up on this foundation, we are proud to integrate our patented remote ID tech, which uses a blend of identification sources from visual and visual and audible cues to Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Our system provides a multifaceted approach to aircraft identification. So interesting. That'll be interesting to, to mess around with, play with. Um, I'm guessing and, most uh, of us don't need an app like that to tell us that our fleet of drones is not remote ID compliant. <laughs> Oh, you know, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> Give Alex a couple years, you know, then he'll have that uh, the, a suite of a, or a swarm and uh, a fleet. Because they don't have one now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So uh, uh, this is uh, speaking of remote ID, and, and we'll continue along this thread. So. I didn't know this, but uh, remote ID in a real-world national security event, Pierce Aerospace at Super Bowl, uh, whatever it was, uh, 57. <laughs> um, so apparently uh, the Super Bowl was here in Phoenix last year, So, or I guess it was technically this year. Uh, remote ID is designed to allow stakeholders to detect and track drones in the air. We all know this, but... Anyway, Pierce Aerospace, a Techstars-backed company, is a remote ID service provider focused on practical and robust integration of remote ID services into the drone ecosystem. Pierce Aerospace worked with the Department of Homeland Security and other federal, state, and local agencies to deploy remote ID at the NFL's Super Bowl 57 at a, in a successful test of remote ID for operational support of the national security, special security event. Pierce Aerospace deployed its Bluebird remote ID receivers and B1 remote ID beacons around State Farm Stadium to support airspace operations for NFL-coordinated broadcast flights, a commercial drone swarm, and in support of law enforcement drone flights and operations. To our knowledge, this was the harshest stress test that remote ID has seen to date, uh, said Aaron Pierce, CEO of Pierce Aerospace. Near, nearly 73,000 fans were inside that stadium, all with cell phones and other Wi-Fi and Bluetooth emitting devices, many of whom were streaming or uploading photos and video during the halftime show. We're happy to share that our engineers successfully detected and tracked our remote ID beacons with phones inside the stadium during this high-noise floor event. Um, so, I mean... Definitely an interesting test case scenario with uh, all that noise uh, uh, in in the system there. But uh, uh, so they uh, use their ASTM F3411-22 compliant B1 remote ID beacons uh, for FAA-approved commercial drone flights and law enforcement drone operations. So clearly uh, there's nothing uh, wrong with spoofing a remote ID with a little beacon placed anywhere you feel like it. And it doesn't even have to be on a drone. Yeah. Pierce Aerospace did it at the Super Bowl. Really? Wonder if they were uh, detecting uh, the what elevation they were within plus or minus fifteen feet. Does that mean that at this year's Super Bowl we should add more to that mix about them? And they'll be like, "Wait, I didn't think we put out that many modules." <laughs> hundreds of drones in here. You know, we should just we should just hand out like little business cards with just remote ID beacons attached to, <laughs> to every fan that walks in. Yeah. <laughs> Reprogram an air tag. 
and watch people sweat. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not chaotic. It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> and we've already had airports shut down where they thought they saw drones. Uh, this would just be the same thing again. More imaginary yeah, drones. Just, yeah, I mean, you just walk into an airport. Just walk into an airport with a with a remote saw a drone there. in your pocket, right? <laughs> just an electronic for, device it'll be it fun. was definitely a drone i definitely I saw don't it do my that. own eyes <laughs> definitely don't do that <laughs> please don't do that i told you not to do that <laughs> it wasn't my idea what did you say right. again exactly i said nothing nothing of importance all right so um <laughs> the first rule of project mayhem oh geez <laughs> All right, so uh, with that, that's all I have tonight. Uh, Dave, anything else uh, for you, sir? Uh, we're uh, within a couple of days of um, uh, on along the lines of flight test uh, FT Easy ID, the uh, broadcast module from uh, Flight Test. Uh, we've had um, we've been working on uh, getting the uh, beta flight connectivity right, and uh, coding looks done and. Uh, or to be done, so we've got some testing, uh, have inventory uh, at hand, have an, a couple of uh, retailers uh, who've uh, signed up, and so uh, we'll, those will be available soon, in a small number of days, and uh, hopefully it's a uh, single digit. Oh, with a uh, new price of uh, $99 MSRP. Woo! Came down in price. <clears throat> That's good news. Yeah. So XJet's wondering if there's what the quantity available is. Quantity yeah, well, available, well, Dave. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. Uh, we're, we're not sharing that at this point. Hopefully, enough for everybody who needs one. Yeah, uh, Greg Revendu put together a, a really lovely uh, analysis that um, anticipated that we needed uh, something along the lines of uh, 2,200 a week if we were to make a, a March number. He also estimated a, a total. Um, uh, market need of I think it was three hundred and ninety thousand. Um, yeah. While I uh, I admired the the survey, uh, the the data was you know the analysis was sound. Uh, done a lot of forecasts, and that one was like, ooh, that sounds a little heavy. So I um, I think there's going to be uh, some pent up demand, uh, but I don't think we're going to see a demand for three hundred and uh, uh, sixty three hundred ninety thousand units uh, right out of the out of the shoot. Was Greg's number based on his survey was, result and how many people yeah. said they were going to comply, not based was, on everybody who filled it out. Yeah, correct. It was excellent. Uh, the way he, you know, he, he trimmed it back and said, okay, here's the total population. Here's the, you know, he, he used extrapolation. It was a good statistical analysis to say that the survey was um, statistically valid to be able to extrapolate his numbers to the total population. <laughs> so being conservative, he used for recreational, the total number of trust, um, individuals, people of past trust, which we all know is very low. Uh, and then he also uh, used the total number of Part 107 as the total addressable uh, opportunity. And then he brought that back down to those people who wanted or needed a module, not just the total population. So it was it was really a great analysis, but it was you know still pretty eye-watering in, in terms of a very large number. Um. Bud Skycam's asking if we know anything about the Spectrum module that's priced at sixty dollars. I'm guessing that we don't know a whole lot. There's yeah, not a lot. A lot of info on that, right? Yeah, we. I ordered up, ordered one up. Uh, I read everything I could find about it. Uh, 
prior to uh, flying drones in 2016, I was a dedicated spectrum guy. I've uh, I've now uh, don't use my spectrum transmitters a lot, uh, but it does appear that uh, most of the telemetry looks restricted to the spectrum ecosystem. <coughs> there was was reference that it the the GPS does talk to SBUS, but it was not clear how that works. So when I have one in my hot little hands, we'll be able to figure that out with one of my numerous spectrum radios. <laughs> it also, the, the, tele, the telemetry necessitates it's not only a spectrum transmitter, but a spectrum receiver that is also a spectrum telemetry receiver. So uh, you got to throw some bucks at that before you can make that all work. Interesting. Let's see. So we've got a couple more comments. Uh, just got my first GPS enabled FPV drone with a beta flight return to home this summer. Uh, back to the drawing board and 3D printer for a remote ID one. <laughs> Fair. Uh, uh, CB runners asked, it, did it account for all of those of us with like eight drones in their hotel room while on business travel? Well, the cool thing about a, a remote ID module is being able to move it from one drone to the other. <laughs> And on the part 107 side, it does because you need to, um, what uh, Greg did try to account for, a uh, number of aircraft. And so uh, that um, the FAA, is, we all remember in the uh, rule and the NPRM for remote ID did a really abysmal job of estimating the number of recreational uh, small UAS as well as part 107. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, yeah, he, they did uh, try to account for a one-for-one one requirement on part 107 and that, you know, what's the nominal number or a median number of uh, part per, you know, aircraft for individual. And uh, uh, I know a couple of us uh, on this side of the uh, uh, mic microphones uh, uh, skew the number, the, skew that median a little bit on the number of, uh, of UAS. So, yeah, it was accounted for. <laughs> Alex, he just keeps breaking his... <laughs> <laughs> Alex. It's only it's only one or two, right? At any one time, it holds I down holds down stop, registration. I stop costs. keeping track of what I have. It's just easier to say, "Oh, I'll just fly this one." <laughs> there you uh, go. Oh, geez. All right. So uh, let's see what else we got tonight. Monty, oh. are we over to you or Alex? We're up to you. Uh, I was going to just say uh, one thing that I think might be beneficial to share since I've been getting a bunch of questions about it is where can people see where Frias are? And while we don't have a list of that yet, I'd like to share the map that the FA plans to use to, um, or for this. Um, so I'll share my screen now, I guess. And yep. can you guys see the page? Absolutely. So this is the FA's uh, UIS data delivery system, um, the UDDS. It's just uddds-fa.opendata.arcgis.com. And this is where the FA plans to host the information for where FRIAs are going to be. This also has other information such as your airspace and your altitude restrictions, your recreational fixed flyer sites, which are different than FRIAs and what a bunch of people are confusing with FRIAs. But if I open up the map here, you can see it has a lot of different layers from the start, but I can zoom in to 
my area because that's what I know best. I have my airport here. You got the control airspace. And over here, there's a uh, model aircraft club. And this is a fixed flyer site. It's inside the control airspace. Um, that's what a fixed flyer site and what a FRIA is probably going to look like too. So AMA ones, it's just going to be a circle centered at the radius with uh, however, whatever radius at the AMA selected, because pretty sure that's what the AMA is doing is just the center point and a radius. Um, they sure shouldn't get a FRIA on that one with it going over a road like that. Well, that's just because of how the address is. I'm pretty sure they just use the street address, which has it at the road, even though the field's like back here. Um, I would hope that uh, this would have accurate representation of where the FRIA actually is. Yeah. Well, the FRIA is supposed to use GPS coordinates versus this, I think, is just using an address. Okay. Gotcha. Um, And you can also see the border between controlled airspace or not in here. Uh, If you look, there's a military base and you can see the border is properly outlined for the restricted airspace. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably what a, probably more of a shape like that is what a, like this one here is what a Frio might look like with a square rectangle type area. Fair. Um, but you can also select the different layers you want to look at to see different types of information. So you have the part-time national security, UAS flight restrictions um, layer. You have the recreational fixed flyer sites as an option. And you can see the legend showing um, what the symbol is. That's the blue symbol. Um, You have your labels as well. So um, uh, you have your facility map data. So this is all the Lance information. You're getting your grids for 400, 0, 200, blah, 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 all that stuff. You have different, kind of, yeah, prohibited areas and just general airspace as well. Uh, a couple other layers, but this is where the FA plans to host the FRIA information. I think going over this will help people understand where to look for it. And hopefully they'll have some of those on there by September 16th. But That's what the FA is aiming for, but... That's, mm. uh, yeah. September 16th this year or next year? <laughs> They're aiming for this year, supposedly. But... <laughs> Sorry. Well, Sorry. It, it depends on the rumors and what you believe or not. But right. there's definitely a lot of YouTube videos and talk about potential, I don't know, they keep calling it relief, but uh, a delay mm-hmm. in enforcement maybe like the the uh, manufacturers had. Yeah, we're, if we remember the wording in the manufacturer's uh, relief, it was... Well, each case will be evaluated uh, individually. It's like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? And isn't that how you've been working already? So it was <laughs> definitely uh, sleeves out of your vest. So mm-hmm. we're, I'm anticipating a similar <coughs> relief. Yeah, like, uh, we, they could say something like, oh, well, you, you're not flying with one, but you said you had one on order and you're waiting for it and it's backward. Oh, okay, that's, and you tried. Right. You have to show effort. Yeah, or as we've been talking about ad nauseum, if you're flying part 107 and put a broadcast module on it, and that's intent, even though it's not standard remote ID. Yeah. Another thing you can do with this map is you can actually download the data too. So if you want to download all the data for all the uh, 
for facility map data, see just get an Excel sheet of all the areas and grids where you can fly up to. You can download all of that data and other stuff like that. All right, so real quick, uh, is flight test and or FPVFC, this comes from CB Runner, going to do a head-to-head -head test on RID modules? Yeah, to the uh, to the extent we, uh, FPVFC uh, is working on that. Um, we're, uh, we'll have a couple of um, FTEZID modules uh, in-house soon. Um, we have uh, a drone tag, um, BS uh, in hand, um, and if I were a little healthier, I would be a little farther along on that. Uh, and we have on order a, as I mentioned, a Spectrum Sky ID, and we're going through uh, going through the lists, checking them twice. Uh, and Blunty's assembled a great list of uh, uh, modules that we need to get ordered. So yeah, and this will not be a <coughs> a uh, exotic lab uh, comparison, but I think. Uh, we can do uh, a good description and uh, a common sense uh, utilization of, uh, of the remote ID modules. It's a real world test scenario, throw it on our, our equipment, fly it around, see right. what we learn. And Alex uh, suggested that uh, he uh, put together a couple of them, see how they work in a uh, race environment, which I think makes a, a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So good question. Thank you. Um, someone was asking, are there any modules even available? They've got a live shoot on the 16th for NBC. Um, so like you said, the drone tag, you you were able to order it and arrive. I don't know if, if you ordered one today, how long it would take to get here, or if they're back ordered now or not. Yeah, long, long lead time on the drone tag. That came from Prague. Uh, so uh, that, And that was their first ramp up. So uh, that, that took several months. And I would expect flight test easy ID would hopefully be available to order really soon. And once ordering yeah. open, it'll ship. Yeah, shipping will happen quickly because they're made in the U.S. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the locations it's going to ship from is Edgewater, Ohio, right, or Malvern, Ohio. Yep. Are we announcing the other suppliers that uh, are going to carry it? Uh, not yet. Not until they're yeah. comfortable. Fair enough. So yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, and flight test is known for getting gear out quick. So a hundred percent, they've got a great, uh, shipping department. So, um, and everything's local. So, um, definitely watch for that release. And hopefully like Dave said, it will just be in the next couple of days. You can get what you need and, and, but also watch and see what's going to happen with this quote unquote relief. Right. And you may be fine too. So, yeah, you, know, you just have to watch the space. So, yeah, see how right. long you can get away with just. Well, I tried to pre, tried to order one, but they're out of stock. <laughs> Use Good, that uh, excuse for a few months. Try getting years. a Freya. I had uh, Josh. If you want, if you were changing directions, I had a, a topic on um, uh, our, our tech support uh, part of the show. Yeah, before please. we go ahead, that. go ahead. I Alex. actually want to follow up to um, the person who's doing the NBC event uh if you send an email to rid authorizations at fa.gov that is the email that is used to that the fa is using for remote id exceptions for the time being so you, you can try to get a waiver i, I know that's a tiny timeline i don't think the fa is going to be able to do that in time but i would at least try sending an email to get authorization that would show that, in, for that intent exactly as well. intent again yeah, that's a that's a great suggestion, Alex. 
<laughs> even with the tight turn turn turnaround. I agree with Dan. You're and doing I just this, you posted know. that in the chat too. Do we have any Great. more information on uh, like <laughs> the the change of the rules from China and things being shipped or not shipped or anything like that? How's that going? That yeah, obviously the only company I know that the only company I know <laughs> that is not shipping is Speedy B. They're saying they're not going to ship things until they cannot ship. Out. They they took yeah they said they cannot ship. Well, no, don't interesting. Uh, don't try to order it, a Speedy B remote ID module, which as far as I, I know wonder, they don't have one. But well, I wonder <laughs> if, I wonder if that if that's because of their new uh, autonomous. You know, they're they're now supporting RDU Pilot and iNav with one of their PWM uh, uh, flight controllers. It's a good product. that make Holybro affected too? Because Holybro does mm. the same exact stuff. Yeah, good, good I'll point. I'll say there's also still a lot of confusion on the manufacturer side, because I was told by one manufacturer that they could only ship with DHL, and DHL was not stopping drone parts. And then I had another company tell me they could not ship with DHL. They had to use other sources because DHL was denying them the ability to ship drone parts. Nice. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. This, oh, this Alex, is... we didn't get that URL. I think YouTube blocked it, and I don't oh. see. I should make you a moderator if I can see you on there. Rejected. Uh, be... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, you guys are anything else, Alex? There you go, Alex. I don't have anything. Um, other people were talking in the chat about. Well, couldn't you just have a a flight controller that had GPS and Bluetooth built in and do remote ID built all on the flight controller. Yeah. What you are the can, issues with that? You can, if you segment, uh, probably on the hardware side, a portion of the flight controller uh, that can support uh, proprietary code and can be closed. Uh, this is not, uh, I'm not hallucinating. CL Racing does this today, and this is very possible. However, if you just you know, drop you know use open space and talk freely back and forth the view is that that op that blatantly violates the direction of tamper resistance and tamper resistance as we've said is a vague term and that's what the faa wanted after a lot of pleading could we please use industry terms and get this nailed down and the answer was no we want to keep it vague <clears throat> to allow for innovation was the rationale and uh, as X just pointing out, if your flight controller has the GPS built in, you wouldn't get good GPS reception if you wanted to have good GPS reception for return to home or something. If you don't care about how accurate your GPS is for your remote ID broadcast, then maybe that's a good thing. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about sandwiching it between uh, two, uh, two pieces of carbon fiber. It's all, it's all in the, what's the objective? Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. So uh, switching? Yeah, if there are any questions. Yeah, so we're encouraging uh, questions and uh, 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 on troubleshooting of uh, putting together and trying to get these uh, little quads in the air. I had a, uh, a tiny trainer that I was uh, retrofitting um, over to Express uh, LRS. And uh, I went through the uh, the checklist, and uh, Blunty gave me a great checklist. And it was uh, so you made sure you found an open UART, right? Yep. You made sure your connections are RX to TX and TX to RX. Yep. <coughs> you made sure that uh, uh, your aux one is set low. 
uh, no, but I will. And so I fixed <laughs> fix that. And then I went into the uh, Lewis script and the uh, in the upper right hand corner, the little C that says you're connected has to be solid for it to be uh, connected. And as soon as I flipped uh, aux one low, that was that was solid. What I what what I learned and uh, would have uh, taken me a lot longer without uh, without Blunty's help was I had um, a Betaflight 4.4.0 on the flight controller, and I was using Express um, uh, LRS 3.3.0, and they didn't like each other. So as soon as I up, uh, updated to the latest 4.4.2, no problem at all. It all works together beautifully. So I now have a tiny trader with a tiny, tiny little receiver with no external antenna. So I'm going to take that out, see how that how that flies around it there. It's an amazing little uh, uh, little drone. They fly really great, surprisingly well for how small they are. <clears throat> so thank you, Blunty. That was a great tip that got me uh, got me going. I was uh, on that one for a couple hours. I just yeah, the to... main rule with uh, just say the main rule with Express LRS is always check the Lua, look for the C. If the C is flashing, look up at the top and see what it's telling you. The two main flags are arm, and that means your arm has to be low. Because uh, Express Alert requires aux one to be arm, and aux one has to be low, and then the other one is um, a model match. So if, if something is bugged with model match on the receiver, you need to flip model match on and off, and then that'll disappear. Great. I just wanted to read what Rick says in the YouTube chat that he wishes that the FAA would work with hobbyists like the FCC does with hams. They could learn a lot. The FAA does not want to work with hobbyists and are seem to be going yeah. the opposite direction at any opportunity they get. Uh, they're not making the remote ID something that you know, we can all build and manage ourselves. They want it to be locked down, proprietary, built by companies, and the average person is not allowed to touch it. Well, the 44809 does say that the FA is supposed to work with hobbyists, well, right. consult, they're supposed to consult CBO to. in the in the regulation in the I haven't creation. Yeah, no, we've we've not seen that yet. We've been exactly. asking when for we brought that up, What was the response? They have the, a different definition of work with than we right. do. Yeah. Promulgation is uh, more of what they're about. The, their so idea like, of work with means the FAA tells CBOs, here's what you tell all of your people. That's working right. with you. That's Our right. definition of working with us is like a dialogue back and forth of giving suggestions and you know making improvements. Right. You're talking about collaboration versus being voluntold to what to do. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And this the delay of the you know, theoretical delay, if there is a delay on the remote ID, it's a great example. If they had a dialogue with the four CBOs in terms of this is what we're thinking, how do you think it will be received? And you, this discussion is embargoed until this date, and we need your help on getting the word out. Would be happy. We've we have literally offered that help and been declined. So, yeah. Well, so when when everyone here finds out what uh, what's going on with a delay, if there is one, with uh, the uh, effective date of RID, we'll find out at the same time. I think the big question mark, though, with the, with the RID stuff is even if you buy a standard uh, standard ID aircraft, it still requires the user go onto the website and register the, the red serial number to drone zone if there's going to be any ties to it. The aircraft doesn't know whether it's been registered or not. Absolutely so right. Buy a compliant one, 
even if you go buy a compliant one, it's still incumbent on the operator, which is what really baffles me about the, them locking down the stuff that you were just referring to, because if somebody doesn't want to be compliant, they're still not going to be compliant. Yes, you have. In order to be fully compliant, you need to get on drone zone and, and register a serial. <coughs> and of course, when a part 107, there's a one on one correspondence of a, a broadcast subsystem, uh, be it a module or a standard and an aircraft. And with recreational, the uh, relationship is with the operator or pilot, not with the aircraft. Absolutely. So it, you can use uh, one, one module, many, many aircraft. Absolutely, but it still requires voluntary compliance by the end user. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yep, good point. I think that's all I had. Any anyone else with any any technical questions? No, uh, no one working on uh, Express LRS over the Labor Day weekend. <laughs> I was too busy. Uh, what, racing. Radio system, what radio systems have you not messed around with, Dave? Uh... Fly Sky. I do not oh, have. A, I mean, do not have Fly Sky. I have FR you have to use Sky. the best radio system out there. Fly I Sky. Haven't. That was my first radio. Exactly. Well, well, mine too. Too, Dan. Yeah. FR FR Sky Spectrum JR Futaba, uh, Tyrannus Radio Master. So couple. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a Futaba Gold, which is uh, from. 1979. That's a long was, time ago. I have a picture of one of those on a tower hub, <laughs> my Tower Hobbies catalog in a box. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Oh my That's where you get um, those. Mike Bergman's asking for what kind of range are people getting with that little tower antenna? I'm not sure exactly which device he's talking about. Oh, the about. chip antenna? The ceramic, an- the ceramic antenna on the ELRS, okay. I would imagine, is what he's talking about, because that's what oh. they brought up. Yeah, don't know. I'll let you know. <laughs> it totally depends on yeah packet rate and and power. But I mean, I've gotten uh, you know I could fly like a bando with it, for instance, you know, and be on one side and then fly around it and stuff. So, wow, nice. Yeah. Wow, so, range is good enough for your use. Yeah, if I, and yes, and I'm looking for you know racing range, so literally the, a couple the, hundred feet wind. And it's open space. I'll say the other thing to remember, though, is that the other alternatives, because ELRS is 2.4 gigahertz, are very small. So even if you do need to add an antenna, and you'll get way better range with an antenna, it's not, it won't kill you to do that. Um, and then another thing to remember is that ExpressLRS has modes called D-modes. And the D-modes are um, basically, they, they send the packets multiple times um, at a higher frequency. But so like basically D250 sends four packets of the same thing. It sends it four times so that you have a better LQ and it's sending it at a thousand hertz. So that way you have a better chance of getting the packet you need to go through. Through, um, so D two fifty is typically better than two fifty, even though a thousand hertz would be worse for the SNR. So, interesting. That's pretty cool. Good stuff. Um, DTFPV is in YouTube saying he's bringing up the point that uh, one of the things that bugs them about Part One Hundred Seven pilots is that they can't fly home built drones anymore. Won't this put many people out of business. Um, do we want to repeat what um, what we've been saying about remote ID and module? Like how you can't easily home build your own drone for part 107 use with remote ID, standard remote ID. What have we been saying that <coughs> people should do in that case? Yeah, put a broadcast module on it. It shows intent. <coughs> and so um, we, uh, Kevin Morris has uh, come out from, he's in um, 
He works in communi communications organization, well-connected across the integration office. Um, and he said, independent of the manufacturer's date, if you have a uh, an aircraft independent as an independent of its manufacturing date and you put a broadcast module on it, it's compliant for part 107. You know, we struggle with that because that's not what the FAA has been telling us for a year and a half. Um, however, you know, we've talked to Kevin and that's, you know, that's his story and he's sticking to it. Um, and so that is uh, helpful somewhat. It does not help uh, the small companies who are, uh, you know, not as large as a, a DJI, a, a Parrot, an Autel, who are creating and already have created standard remote ID. Um, so it, it, it's tough on the manufacturers because the onus on the manufacturer is absolutely they were supposed to have standard remote ID on their produced drones as of September 16, 2022. Yeah, I think there's a differentiation there between like, uh, if you ask specifically Kevin about manufacturing, he will tell you, yes, the manufacturing requirements are still active and you need to buy, purchase a drone with standard remote ID. However, it's not up to you to do that. It's up to the manufacturer to provide that. Yeah. And like, it basically, if you, f it's similar to the SD card thing is how I f see it in my mind. If you find a drone, right? And then do you want to use that drone for commercial purposes? You can by adding a module. That's right. the idea. Right. right. And yeah, very, very well who said, knows the, Thank you. Who knows the manufacturing data of that SD card slash drone? Right. That, that's sort of <laughs> the idea behind that. That's, that's how I would think about it personally. And, yep. and also, the other thing, the reason we're telling you that is because nobody, I would be blown away if anyone cares in the next year to two years if you're running a broadcast module instead of standard RID on 107. Right. That's because that is so nuanced compared to just trying to get everybody to even broadcast something and the fact that you are broadcasting something. And then on top of all that, when you get a ramp check, when somebody goes out to your where you're filming and they go check your remote ID module, they don't have any ability to say, you know, what's your license on this module? Where does this module come from? Any of that. They can just test the signal that's coming out of it that they see and tell if it's good or not. And they can look through your documentation to be a drone pilot but there's no other evidence that they have to collect unless they charge you with something or try to charge you with something yeah they'd have to like start a real investigation in which case i would assume there'd have to be some egregious some you know, yeah problems. some evidence some reason yeah. to do that and that yeah. would be i mean don't do something would, stupid well exactly and that's the point right so don't cause property damage don't cause personal damage against somebody like you know don't do something stupid and you know you'll be fine it's just you're showing intent by by putting it on there you're complying to the best ability that you can and move on so i mean i would say you know it, it's it's good advice and this is what we wanted from the beginning is the ability to create innovate and still continue to fly right and um it, it really culminates in that so continue to do that <laughs> TTFPV is now saying, I wish the law made sense rather than relying on this wink wink stuff. <laughs> well, and yeah. that's the point, right? Makes sense. Without, is, a, without a doubt. And this is where that article I posted about the FAA comes into play, right? More clarity and, and more, you know, I mean, in my eyes, more collaboration with the people who actually do this stuff every day. The FAA doesn't go out and fly drones on a daily basis, they don't go out and fly drones ever. And, you know, but but they want to sit there and, and push rules on people who do that make no sense. So right. if and, they would and, collaborate effectively, this wouldn't be a problem. And I, every, I would suggest. Go ahead, Blunty. 
I would suggest that there's some barrier in the way, and typically that's lawyers or legal, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's because, like, for the same reason that we saw the, we didn't see the date pushed back for the manufacturer date, we instead saw a delay, and we'll take it on a case-by-case. -case. They could have easily said, nothing, nobody will be prosecuted <coughs> for this in the next three months, right? Right. But legally, we need that hole. We need that room because maybe we have to do something, and we can't guarantee that, right? Like, and they, they would have had to push through a rule update. Oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. So to me, I think this just like wound up in all this BS and it's very yeah. difficult for them to do something like that from any angle. And that's mm -hmm. very unfortunate. As far as I'm aware, I also haven't heard of any companies being charged or fined for not having standard remote ID, but Agreed. it also could be to a point where it's small enough where it doesn't have to be publicly announced either. Agreed. Yeah. It's been a year now and, some places are still saying, oh, you can buy this drone. It doesn't have standard remote ID, but it's for indoor use only. Or this is a kit yeah. because it doesn't contain a battery or whatever loophole yeah. they're trying to get by with. Mm -hmm. I would guess if I any of those places got in trouble for that, they would have changed something about what they're doing. Now, one thing I'll say is one thought I've had lately is that if, if there's a narrative happening where people can't get access to remote ID, to me, that's when the FAA would step in and say to manufacturers, you're not providing drones with remote ID, you need to do that. And that's what a little worry of mine, right? Is because like right. they could put pressure in the other direction to say, you haven't been providing these things. More users would have remote ID if you had been providing these properly and maybe push those boundaries a little bit. Because right now we really don't know how they're going to eventually respond or if they ever will to saying that indoor use only thing, right? It, like, mm -hmm. where's the where's the actual standpoint there? What's actually going to happen there? Is is removing a battery okay? Is it actually okay if you don't have a controller and goggles? Like, we really don't know where that's going to land. So, yeah, I kind of worry that this like narrative will push into that direction, but I, I hope it won't. Yeah, and, and I mean well, that's the hard part too. Is like, you know, do we consider? And what does the FAA consider? I mean, for a long time we've we we've uh, suggested, you know. The, the FAA says what? Missing a major component, right? So uh, take the receiver out. It's a major missing component. You can't do anything without that, you know, or, or something to, to those terms. But, you know, a battery that might be pushing. Oh, I should fly without, without a battery. But, you, know, but, you can't fly without a radio. You can't fly without goggles. Yeah, well, fair, you know what I mean? Fair. Like, I, I think there's like, we got to figure out. Yeah. Nobody knows. Well, you can line. fly without goggles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be FPV though. Gotcha, Blunty. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. I wonder. Right. Well, to find out that if the for indoor use only would work if we set up a fake drone store and then had the for indoor use only and then reported it to the FAA. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Mike Bergen says uh, he would really like a goggle mount camera that allows you to see who might be walking up on you, like the older Sky Zones. I have a pair of those Sky Zones. I still have a pair of those Sky Zones with a camera on it. So Super we all cool. need to fly two drones at once, one that, that hovers above you to show you your surroundings if anybody's walking up by you, and the other one you're right. actually piloting. Yeah. You know, this... you know what we really need is the thing they do in those the the fancy cars where you can see all around the car at once, oh. like just a little, oh, little yeah. 360 camera. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, That's I thought cool. the I thought that this the camera to see if people were coming up towards you was a VO. Jeez. <laughs> all right. Uh, anybody have anything else for tonight? 
All right, guys. So uh, thank you for participating. The chat has been awesome. We love you guys. Uh, uh, definitely super appreciate it. Keep those comments going. Uh, and uh, we'll see you in the next couple of weeks. If you guys have any tech support issues, you want uh, Blunty to uh, diagnose for, from you, or you could get uh, the rest of us to uh, attempt to help. Um, no, nah, actually, we're all pretty good at it. But uh, um, Blunty's definitely better than all of us. Uh, but at the same time, um, if you've got those, bring them to chat next time. We'd love to hear what you're struggling with, uh, see if we can help get you in the air and uh, get, you, get you going. So um, beyond that, we'll see you in another couple of weeks, two weeks. And uh, we appreciate you joining tonight. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Good night.